0: Good morning welcome to jays talk plus i'm blake murphy fun 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 weekend of toronto blue jays baseball so close to being a sweep down at the trop this being a team that came into this series about 50 and 100 over their last 150 i think it was 52 and 99 over their last 101 151 down at The TROP, 100 points of OPS worse than they are everywhere else. Yes, they'd been okay there earlier in the year. But if you are a longtime Toronto Blue Jays fan or even just a Toronto Blue Jays fan of recent vintage, you are, if not afraid, then deferential to Tropicana Field and the Tampa Bay Rays who play there. As it turns out, the Blue Jays look just fine. They win 6-2 to on Friday, one of their better, kind of more complete Outings of the season. Little bit of offense. Great start from Chris Bassett. Good job from the bullpen, including a four-out save from Jordan Romano. Saturday rolls around. Down big early. And we know how that goes for this team. They don't have the offense to come back after after something like that. But they do. They come back. They take the lead. Uh, Ultimately, Jordan Romano blows a save. Some criticism uh, of the Romano usage there. Pitching with a cracked fingernail. Pitching the day after he got a four-out save. Not coming out of the game for a lefty lefty matchup with Tim Mazer ready to go on the bullpen. What are you going to do? They lose that one seven, six. They go into Sunday. You say Kikuchi, the ace on the hill, uh, looking for a series victory and they get all sorts of offense. And it's a game we haven't seen the Toronto Blue Jays play a lot this year. We've seen them get offense in bunches late in games, um, not Very often do they put up big offense early in games. In this one, they got a whole bunch going, even though you said Kikuchi wasn't at his best. George Springer hits it inside the park. Home run. He then gets a, a terrific assist to throw Curtis Mead out at second base. Then he makes a diving catch uh, and pops up quick enough to keep the runner from scoring uh, sack fly style. The Rays continued to add on a little bit as the game went on, but in something the Blue Jays haven't done a ton this year, they continued to add insurance. Add insurance. We got what's been very rare Boba Shed and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going back to back with home runs. Vlad's second of the game. The Jays had five homers in the series. So, they end up winning that one 9 to 5. They take 2 of 3 against the Tampa Bay Rays. When we lined up what these last 2 weeks look like, when you lined up what the last month look like, when you line up any series against Tampa Bay, you're just hoping to take the series. And you zoom out now, Jays took 2 series in a row, 7 and 2 over their last 9 since getting embarrassed by the Texas Rangers at Rogers Centre, and not only did the Jays do what they were supposed to do on the weekend, they got pretty much every best outcome in terms of out-of-town scoreboard. So the Houston Astros were swept by the Kansas City Royals. Yep, yeah, Kansas City swept Houston. Texas swept Seattle. And in that series, you mostly just cared that one team swept the other. That was the best possible thing for the Blue Jays, But you had a slight, slight, slight lean toward Texas being the one to do the sweeping. Uh, Baltimore and Cleveland split a four set. That is relevant insofar as do the Rays have anything to play for this weekend? Uh, Baltimore's magic number in the AL East now down to three. So it seems likely that this coming weekend... Tampa won't have a lot to play for other than making sure you get to the wildcard round in good shape with your rotation lined up. They're dealing with a, a boatload of injuries. Uh, some with guys on the aisle who aren't coming back. Some with guys we'll find out today or tomorrow, if they get put on the IL, like a Randy Rosarena, um, some guys like Aaron Savale who they're juggling the rotation to get a little extra rest for. Uh, so that is relevant. Texas is now leading the American league West by two and a half games. And if you're the blue Jays and you look at Houston getting swept and Seattle getting swept, well, Houston and Seattle now play each other for three. Texas and Seattle are going to close the series season with four against each other on the weekend. And because those teams all play each other so much, the Toronto Blue Jays are now in a spot where if they go three and three this week, they have locked up a playoff spot. If they go two and four this week, they are almost certainly in. They could technically... Clinch a wild card spot as early as Wednesday. And as we've discussed, you don't have a strong preference between wild card two and wildcard three. So the earlier you clinch, the easier it is to spend the weekend saying, hey, you know what? We're focused on the wild card. Let's set up the rotation. Let's get a, a guy, a rest day here, a guy, a rest day there. Things like that. So the Jays are in a great spot. They are now 87 and 69. They are two and a half games up on Seattle for that final wildcard spot. And according to fan graphs, their playoff odds this morning are at 97.5%. More important than any of that, when you look ahead to what the wildcard series could look like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week, they got some feel-good moments down at the Trop. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com of BlueJays.com joins us now. Uh, Keegan, you are Mr. Tropicana Field. The Blue Jays... Won a series there and they won it in pretty impressive fashion. A lot of good stuff happening. Uh, I have a couple possible explanations for how the curse was broken to throw at you, but before we get to that, how are you feeling uh, a weekend at your favorite place in baseball?
1: I feel calm. I, I feel centered. I, I feel everything that I do not feel at other stadiums, especially this deep into the year, Blake. You know, this, this is not my best version of self. <laughs> and let me tell you, the trop is like a weekend at the spa it is calm it is mostly empty it's like playing baseball in a carpeted basement you know everything is soft and muzzled and uh it, it's quite the spot uh I, I think the guys like to give me a hard time for my love of the trop i, I think day two schneids opened our uh, pre-game press conference by asking me how i infer uh enjoyed my first day there so it's uh I'm, I'm glad it's become an identity because it is baseball's cathedral.
0: It's uh, it's certainly something. <laughs> I don't know that everyone uh, would agree with you, but we we might see a bunch of it in the, in the coming weeks here. Yeah. So before we get to that, I, I want to throw a couple of these possible explanations at you. And, and the real answer is, well, the 2007 blue Jays have nothing to do with the 2023 blue Jays and they have nothing to do with the 2014 Jays, et cetera, but it has felt like, a weight's been lifted this year down at the Trop, and I want to rapid-fire throw a couple potential explanations at you, all right? hit yeah, me. All right. The first one is they acquired Kevin Kiermeyer. and even though Kevin Kiermeyer only has a 513 OPS in the games where they've gone back to the Trop this year, taking a key piece away from the team that had frustrated you so much went a long way to writing the ship.
1: And he's a, he's a piece that really plays to what the Rays are and have been mm-hmm. over the years. The, the Rays, what they do to the blue Jays at the Trop, Yes. It's Tampa being very good, but a lot of the time it's Toronto screwing up. And this team in the, in the most basic of terms is built to screw up less. That's what pitching and defense means. You're shooting yourself in the foot fewer times. That's what's made the Rays great. And, it was kind of a weird, freaky Friday, Blake. Even in that game two before it was blown late, it was kind of like the Blue Jays were playing the Rays game. They were the team that was blinking last and not making that mistake. Kiermaier's a big part of that. When you have one of the best defensive center fielders in decades, things get a little easier out there.
0: So that is one potential explanation. And, and yeah, Kiermaier, despite, you know, the five, what a five thirteen OPS, uh, obviously a defensive value, a base running value, uh, a vibes value. Here's another potential explanation. I'll throw at you. Keegan, uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas style, your undying love for the trop has just uh, caused the hearts of the blue Jays to swell and get more comfortable
1: there. It could be inspiring, you know, because these, uh, these 26, now 28 players, uh, the coaching staff, poor John Schneider, who has to listen to me ask questions twice a day, every day for 300 days. You know, they probably sense a bit of a difference. Why is that cranky bearded guy <laughs> suddenly uh, have a bit of a spring in his step? If even that guy can perk up, then maybe we can too.
0: Okay, here's another potential explanation. Uh, The curse, or whatever you want to call it, isn't broken at all, and this was a -a rope-a-dope on the part of the Tampa Bay Rays to lull the Jays into a false sense of security for a wild-card series next week.
1: (laughs) I I love a narrative drama. I love it. Next week, somehow the Rays will have called up another prospect, like (laughs) Junior Caminero, a guy they got for a reliever who's been DFA'd, and now he's the future of their franchise. I don't know how they keep doing it, but um, I think the rule, Blake, should be that if the Rays try to trade for one of your prospects, just promote him to the big leagues. I don't care if he's in single A. If they want him, just send him to the big leagues.
0: Yeah, there's no explanation for trading with the the Rays at this point. And obviously, you know, you you have to try to do what you think's best for your team. But at least if it's something where, like, you're making a trade for just 40-man depth, a guy who you don't have high hopes for long-term, uh, a guy who's going to be DFA'd in six months. Yeah, maybe, maybe just uh, hold off on that trade. So, Keegan, those are some explanations. In seriousness, though— it is, if things ended today, the Toronto Blue Jays would be playing the Tampa Bay Rays in a wildcard series. There are six games left to go. A lot can happen. Tampa Bay is more or less locked into the wildcard one spot. Uh, Baltimore's magic number in the AL East is down to three at this point. Now the Toronto Blue Jays could fall to wildcard three or they could fall out of the playoffs entirely. But right now there's a little bit of insulation there. So it, it is possible and perhaps even likely at this point, the Jays will be visiting the Rays in the wildcard series now jokes aside about the trop and your happiness there when you look at the Tampa Bay Rays team that the Blue Jays just saw this weekend there is obviously a lot of danger there in the lineup they were able to put up some good numbers they were able to get to Jordan Romano on the Saturday and things like that but they also have an entire starting rotation worth of pitchers on the IL. Randy Orozarena is banged up now. Uh, The reason they're calling up a junior Camonero or old friend Ryan Maltapia is because other guys like Brandon Lowe are hitting the IL. Um, Obviously, we we all have a level of respect for the Tampa Bay Rays and, and their particular brand of baseball. But when you look at the version of the Rays that the Blue Jays played this weekend. Um, How, how strong a team do you think that is? How big a gap do you think it is between Tampa Bay and another potential playoff opponent?
1: I think it's brought Tampa Bay down to the level of who they'll be playing. Still a very good team. Obviously, even if they had five more injuries, they would figure out a way, but these are major, major players who are injured. These aren't just guys. and, The truth of of the postseason in MLB that we don't want to admit out loud, but it's not always about being the best team. It's about who's left. It's about being healthy at the right time. It's not about being the best seven-month team, capital B, capital T, best team. It's about having it together at the right time, and so much of that is health. And the Blue Jays have been so, so healthy this year. Yeah, they've had some nagging things. Vladdy's a good example of someone who's had some nagging things along the way. Even Bo with his knee and then quad injuries. Yeah, those sucked at the time. But this team is healthy right now. And the Blue Jays' rotation, I think, has been at the forefront of that. When you look at Gossman, Barrios, Bassett, and Kikuchi... When I I talk about rotations now, Blake, I almost just look at the top four, given that a five spot is such a revolving door for teams. But the Blue Jays have over 700 innings from their top four. They are number one in baseball by a good bit over Seattle. And that is so important at this time of year. Those starters have been so good. The Blue Jays lineup is healthy and they have a bit of momentum now at the right time. You know, there are still flaws. Sure. But at this point, that's for us to worry about in November and December and fill an off-season with. The Blue Jays are playing good baseball at the right time, and they're healthy. Health is not exciting. It's not something we fill radio segments with, but, man, oh, man, uh, credit to this rotation, uh, credit to the Blue Jays' training staff, which is probably something I do not say enough, but for Mm. keeping a veteran rotation, these guys aren't 22 years old. These guys are 32, 34 and putting up career highs and in innings. This is unique, and man, oh, man, uh, the Blue Jays' rotation health-wise the last couple of years has spoiled people. Normally, we are talking 10, 11 names deep, and they have been really, really healthy.
0: They sure have, and obviously that's uh, that's most prominent on the starting rotation side where, you know, we kicked around the stat a bunch last week. They're the first team since 2019 to have four starters go 30 starts even. And yeah, they're, they're They might not have a, a guy blow past 200. And we'll see in the last Chris Bassett start here. Um, But yeah, they, they've been, they've done a good job uh in managing that. So on the health front, I wasn't going to go here just yet, but while we're there, uh Brandon Bell sounded like he was ready to go yesterday. There's an off day today. They'll be back at home for six. Uh, Keegan, what was the latest on Brandon belt down in Tampa Bay?
1: Yeah. So belt was able to hit off the high velocity pitching machine. They call it, which is closer to simulating a game. You're you're seeing actual fastball velocity. You're not just hitting off of a tee or taking batting practice, which sometimes can't be as helpful. So he is very close. Um, it would not surprise me at all if he was activated tomorrow. I'm very curious where it does go from there if he is activated. Now, if that's the case, Schneider said he does like to keep some speed on the roster. Maybe that bodes well for Cam Eden for a week. Maybe it bodes not so well for Spencer Horwitz. There could be some overlap, even though Horwitz has played very well. But Belt coming back, it's one of those awkward questions late in the year. Because you have a lineup that's working right now. Belt has been such an important part of that and is such an important part of that clubhouse. But do you throw him right back in for the final six games? Do you DH him for three or four to see where his timing is at? Because I, I think you need to get a feel for where Belt's timing is and how sharp he is, what role he's going to play on that postseason team, whether it be an every single day starter or... Matchup based, maybe a bench bat type of guy. So, very good news for the Blue Jays, but I don't think we know just yet for the next few days what that news will look like in terms of a lineup.
0: And there should be opportunity for Belt to get some plate appearances. Uh, The way the rotation currently lines up for the Yankees, we'll see if they tweak it or anything like that, but they will miss Carlos Rodon the way things look uh, right now. And then Tampa Bay does not employ a left-handed starter. If you're looking ahead to the postseason, Tampa Bay and Minnesota both do not – it, they, they don't employ left-handed starters either. So um, certainly they could bring a lefty out, out of the bullpen and chase belt out of the game for a pinch hitter or something like that. But yeah, I mean it, a week Keegan in your estimation, a, a week here where even if it's DH reps, um, it, that's enough time for the Jays to make a, a pretty comfortable decision about Belt's role in a, in a short playoff series, right?
1: It has to be at this time of year. You can't be all that patient. Uh, yes. Yes. We all know that Brandon Belt is a great player in this game. You know what he's done with the Giants, especially in the postseason. So as long as he looks okay, good. He's back. You're comfortable with him DHing in the postseason, being in that lineup. But if you see a guy come back, and this isn't just about Brandon Belt. It isn't just about a veteran. It could be anybody who comes back late in the season and struggles with timing or, or getting back into the swing. You do have to be a little more quick with the trigger when you are talking about a postseason lineup. It's really about what you've done lately, and it's about chasing the hot hand a bit. So it's not the middle of May, middle of June. So the Blue Jays will need to see something there. But given Belt's reputation and given how well he knows the postseason, as long as he shows that he is on time, he's making some contact. I think that's a big addition to this lineup. And, and when you get belt back, your bench gets stronger. John Schneider's late game options get stronger because you know you're going to have to see a lot of that mixing and matching, pinch hitting late in games
0: you mentioned the you you got to play your best lineup and the Jays are a team that they've tried to work guys in regularly all season but we saw it last week uh, they had six games and they were more set in even with Vlad missing a, a couple games and Kirk getting A down day for Tyler Heineman they were pretty set in the hey we're going to play our our best lineup every single day uh, a few exceptions here and there but but it was more Atlanta Braves style than we're used to seeing from the Blue Jays. So they're getting in that mode now. Um, Of course, now, if they lock things up uh, ahead of the weekend, maybe you you get some of these other guys' opportunities. Um, Keegan, the other consideration is you you mentioned it looks like, you know, I'm – Paraphrasing what you said here, but it looks like Spencer Horwitz could probably be the odd man out when Brandon Belt uh, returns here. Some redundancy as a left-handed bat, who's a first base slash DH. We didn't see him at all over the course uh, of the weekend, really. Um, And then, yeah, come playoff time, there would be another person who comes up. Now you can carry 14 hitters if you choose to. Um, What do you make of the fact that we have? not seen much of Santiago Espinal in the last week or so. And I, I guess the counter to that would be uh, th- how they used Cam Eden and maybe what you heard about what they're trying to see with Cam Eden the, these next, or this next week and this week past.
1: Yeah, Espinal has been a very interesting one for me all year because coming into the year, and uh, I always think it's important not to, to rewrite history, coming into the year, I, I really liked where Espinal was on this team as a guy who would be facing a lot of lefties. Now, he did not crush lefties early in the season, which was the problem. That limited some of his playing time, some of his opportunities. I thought he was a guy who could end the year maybe only getting into 90 or 100 games, but with a really good line because he'd be facing lefties. But when you look at Espinal's overall game, one facet working a little bit against him is that he is not the Blue Jays' best base runner. It's when you look at, A guy built like Espinal, a middle infielder. You typically assume a little more speed there, I believe. But we have seen him recently pinch run four. Now, when he is at his best, good contact bat who can drive the ball and hit lefties, but that's a decision. And then in Cam Eden, uh, the easy, uh, of course, comparison there is Dalton Pompey uh, back as that pinch runner in the postseason. But Eden has great speed. And what impresses me more than the speed, because there's lots of fast guys who suck at base running, Eden's a very smart base runner. I think 53 steals, only thrown out four times in AAA this year. That's really impressive. And it's fun to watch him on the bases. It's a combination of talent, but also the, uh, the eagerness, I guess, Blake, of a rookie coming up when he was on, on base and scored his first run there in Tampa. There was a ground ball where he advanced from second to third. I thought he was going to blow through third base <laughs> and split that bag in half. I, I It was the hardest slide I have seen all year. And I think the ball was on the other side of the diamond at first base. It's just, I, I love seeing that. Uh, happy for Cam Eden, a guy who has earned that spot. And it's a, an interesting stylistic choice. And that's where the Blue Jays have found themselves. Even if it is Horwitz that goes down soon, even Ernie, Ernie Clements, his numbers just not warrant going down. But you're making stylistic choices you're making philosophical choices at this point of the year more than you are making hey which player is better choices and it's about who you want to have in the ninth inning and what you want to have them for if you want that speed guy it's an interesting call it is an interesting
0: call. And look, the speed guy, it's it's a weird one where I think if Danny Jansen were healthy, I, I'd almost put Cam Eden as like close to a lock on a wild card roster because you're you're certainly pinch running for Kirk. And I wonder, are they a little more hesitant with that in some scenarios? Now we haven't seen Tyler Heineman a, a ton. And uh, yeah, it's a there are some interesting questions here. And then the the you're not gonna face a lefty except out of the bullpen element of this is, is interesting as well because you know that changes the potential utility of, uh, of a Spencer Horwitz versus a, you know, Ernie Clement or, or even a David Schneider as his role uh, continues to shrink here uh, a little bit, not dramatically so, but he's been playing about every second day. Uh, he is mired in a, a pretty extended slump here, Keegan. I, I know he's a guy you've talked to a bunch over the year. Uh, is he, in your estimation, you know, doing a, Doing the job of kind of keeping head above water as he waits for the uh, the fortune on batted balls and things like that to turn a little bit here.
1: Yeah, this is the the natural and kind of inevitable uh, ebb and flow for a prospect like this. He comes up and Schneider's approach, I, I love trying to hit the ball in the air for power and letting that be your identity. I love that. Just like Danny Jansen, he knows he's good at pull power. That's what he tries to do. I, I like it when a guy plays with their strengths. But when you are David Schneider and you come up and you make a bunch of history, suddenly, if I am the next day's starter, I'm saying, okay, I'm I'm not just going to ignore this rookie that I haven't heard of before. I'm going to watch a little bit of film on him. I'm going to talk to my pitching coach about how we're going to get this guy out. So pitchers have adjusted to him. High fastballs have always been a bit of the play against Schneider. He knows that (laughs) he sees them. He's well aware But now you are waiting for him to make his adjustment back. So it's his turn to kind of counterpunch what pitchers are doing to him. And that, again, gets us into the urgency we kind of talked about around belt. You you need to see it pretty quickly. You do need to see that. But Schneider's power still makes him such an important part of this team. Uh, I know that this offense has been rebranded as kind of trying to complement the pitching and defense. But, I will still stand by the point that this offense needs more power. It has all season and the power potential is there, but it has to show up in games. And Schneider is one of those guys still, even when he is slumping a little bit, he is still one of those guys who can change a game. And frankly, in the postseason, one home run steals a game, steals a series in such a small series.
0: Uh, Okay, so uh, speaking of home runs, the George Springer inside the park home run, you wrote a great piece. In fact, George Springer had such a big inning, you couldn't even wait until the end of the game to file your piece at at BlueJays.com. The George Springer inning, the inside the park home run, uh, he is jogging to first base and then has to take off when he sees the bounce it takes. Then he makes a a pretty terrific play, uh, pulling one off the wall on a good bounce and throwing Curtis Mead out at second, also played it well enough that the run didn't score on, on what could have been a double, and then he makes makes a diving catch and hops up in time that I think it was Harold Ramirez on third can't score on the sack fly. I, I know you and I have joked around about Autumn George Springer uh, of late Keegan, but man, uh, what an inning and how much were uh I mean, Springer wears kind of the the happiness on his sleeve, but the the guys given it to him pretty good after the game. How how big a moment was that inning for George Springer and these Jays?
1: Yeah, Springer at this point of the year has Been healthy all year. His body is cooperating with him, and you see that uh, kind of that spark in him. You can really sense that Springer is feeling himself at this time of year. He he knows this is his time of year. If we know it, my goodness, he knows it. He he has been there. He has done that around this time of year, late September, October, with the Astros. This is what the Blue Jays signed him for. Yeah, this this year has not been his best numbers. Whatever the Blue Jays signed him to come up big in postseason situations. That's why they were comfortable throwing around 150 million bucks. That's a lot of money. That's why they were comfortable going six years, because they knew along the way there would be an opportunity for George Springer to be that guy in the postseason. And at 34 now, Springer is not the every single day dynamic guy doing this. But when you see it, what a special player what an athlete George Springer is as well. You know, you could put this guy at strong safety, that outside <laughs> linebacker in the NFL, and he is fitting right in. This this guy is an incredible athlete. And Blake, his speed in right field might not be elite where where it was when he was a bit younger, but his ball skills, like once he gets around the ball, adjusting his body, diving, making awkward catches, he is so good at that. He has made so many diving plays and awkward plays in right field this year. And another guy who I have a lot of respect for how he has stayed on the field this year and kept himself healthy. Because if I did one of those belly flops Mm -hmm. on a dive, you're not seeing me for a month, but he has uh, stayed out there and is playing his very best baseball.
0: Uh, All right, Keegan, last one for you before uh, we let you go here. I know you talked to Chris Bassett about how he's been able to turn himself into more of uh, maybe workhorse isn't the right word because modern baseball does not allow us for those. But he is on the doorstep of potentially throwing 200 innings here for the first time in his career. He would need seven and two thirds. He is slated to start Thursday he's gone seven and two thirds or more five times this year so it's not impossible when you look at Bassett and 200 innings and yes we're we're, I'm asking this question with a a little bit of an assumption that things continue to go well for the Blue Jays and, and they're in a good spot um you know, uh, Mark Burley's final start in 2015 is still pretty front of mind when we get to anything like, uh, could you get to 200 innings? How big a goal do you think that is for Bass? I know it's a, it's an arbitrary cutoff kind of, but but it does seem like something he would kind of wear as a, a badge of accomplishment.
1: Absolutely. He, he cares about innings pitched very much. Now, not in the sense where he's going to try to overextend himself. And I, I'm quite confident he would say to this question, What matters is that we win, et cetera, et cetera. But Bassett values this. He thinks this is a very important part of who he is and his identity as a pitcher. And it's something that with each passing year, I'm around baseball and around the Blue Jays. I I respect more is a pitcher who can throw this many innings over this many starts. And I, I thought it was so fascinating, his reasoning and his introspection into how he's done it, which is just being honest with his body. And he he related that back to Tommy John when he was younger. When you have to be honest with trainers, you cannot BS them and say, hey, I feel good today, even though you don't, because then your elbow is going to snap again. You have to be very honest. And he says that he has stayed by that. And that's very refreshing to hear in a sports culture of just a thousand dumb answers about we're going to work hard, we're going to work hard, we're going to outwork them. Well, you need to be smart. You need to listen to your body and be intuitive. And I think Chris Bassett does a very good job of that. He's adjusted over the years. He knows he's 34. He knows that he does not throw 100. But he is getting better at what he's good at, which is very encouraging for the Jays. This has been everything they could have asked for from Bassett. Such an impressive season.
0: It's been, uh, it's been great. And you know, I would like for him to get that 200 marker. I'm I'm sure he would like it. The Yankees offense is not, uh, not exactly the type that you, you worry too much about. Again, he's done it five times this year, seven and two thirds. So if they can avoid the burly situation of it all, uh, here's hoping he gets their Keegan here is hoping that um, whether in the wild card series or later, I, I think most blue Jays fans would prefer later. Uh, just, I, I hope you haven't seen the last of the trop this year, buddy.
1: Let's hope my years there are limited. So <laughs> I I'm hoping for a, as many trips back as I can get. It's looking like I'm going to get one.
0: All right, man. Uh, Keegan Matheson, MLB.com, blue Jays.com. Uh, thanks for taking the time buddy and, uh, get some rest. So you know what city you're in by the end of the day.
1: <laughs> you got it, my friend. We'll see you soon.
0: Keegan Matheson, MLB.com, BlueJays.com. Uh, we had a few texts in the text line this morning and on Twitter. You can keep those coming to five ninety five ninety. I don't know that we're going to get to sprinkle many of them in today, but as we do, we'll kind of keep them and get to them at some point during the week. Later today, I forgot to tee the show up. Uh, I forgot to tweet the lineup out and all those things. It is a Monday morning for me as well. Arden Welling is going to join us in studio for the 11 o'clock hour. And uh, yeah, after we take a little break here, Anthony Castrovins of MLB.com and the author of A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics is going to join us. He had some terrific stuff on Jose Ramirez up last week, uh, but we're also going to take a look around, of course, everything else that happened in the American League playoff picture, Boy, it's getting messy in the AL West. I uh, will take a quick look at the NL playoff picture as well, including a very, very touching weekend in Cincinnati with Joey Votto potentially saying goodbye to that fan base. Uh, Anthony Kastrovitz joins us next as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.
1: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to JStop Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, busy, busy weekend around baseball not only did the jays take two of three against the tampa bay rays uh the seattle mariners got swept by the texas rangers the houston astros got swept by the kansas city royals uh down in cleveland baltimore split a four set with the guardians enough to shrink their magic number in the american league east down to three of course blue jays relevant not just for the american league east of it but the wild card one spot which uh, the tampa bay rays look very very locked into down in Cleveland watching a bit of that series was our next guest of mlb.com author of a fan's guide to baseball analytics it's Anthony Castrevens Anthony how are you man
2: I'm well last week let's get it going this is incredible that uh it's the last week of the season already but uh it's amazing how much is still left unsettled too and i I
0: guess that's what major league baseball was going for with the format changes right yeah. the extra wild card spot the the removal of the tiebreaker games uh everything matters in a in a serious way this weekend There is the n l wild card race the a l west the a l wild card race uh et cetera what what is front of mind for you heading into this week what are you most focused on
2: uh I'm fascinated by what's happened in the west in the AL west um and for the Rangers to they have been the most roller coaster team in baseball this season. I think, you know, they've been a, you know, on measure a really good team, but they have had some very long stretches where they are not a good team at all. And really just can't put anything together. Um, And they were in one of those very recently to the point where I, you know, I really thought that they were going to miss out on the playoffs. And, um, but lo and behold, they the final week with a two and a half game lead because talk about getting hot at the right time against the right teams, you know, Um, So it's it's that's fascinating to me. I I can't believe how poorly Houston has played at home. You know that has really dug them a a big hole now um, with with the two and a half game deficit. They just have finished up a one and five home stand, and, um, and the Mariners have really struggled in September relative to August. So to so see the Rangers in that pole position going to final week is, is really stunning. given where things were just a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah. And the, look, I, I still don't see any of those Mariners relievers coming into the games and feel confident they're going to lock it down, but Hey, they, they have managed to, and it goes a long way. When over your last five, uh, this five game winning streak, you've scored 40 runs. Uh, that helps a lot too. Obviously they got Josh young back. Yes. They got auto Garcia back. They have more home runs than any team in the American league. Um, you know, I, I know it's, Traditional that we say pitching and defense and things like that win in the playoffs, but Texas's ability to hit just about any style of pitcher and put up big numbers via the home run—how much confidence does that give you in their ability to make some noise if they do get in here?
2: Yeah, I mean the postseason—it'll be interesting this year um, with the new rules environment. But you know, in the in the wild card era, especially, I mean, home runs win games in the postseason. It's an absurd like eighty-five percent winning percentage for teams that out home or the other team and this team can do that you know um, when when that offense is clicking it's it's among the best if not I mean the, the Braves have the best offense in baseball but this is you know maybe number two when it's what it's clicking and uh, that can go a long way but and the bullpen definitely scares me but you do have we never know how much managers matter but they do have a, a pretty good presence there with with, Boach, uh, with Bruce Bochy and um, I know he's this is what he came back for, you know, was to be in the mix this late in the season and, and just the intensity of where every game counts, every game feels like it counts for two, you know, um, he's really loving that. And he, he is pretty, uh, we, we've seen him and uh, you know, the giants had an incredible bullpen in those runs. So, that made it easier for him, mm-hmm. but we've seen him, you know, pull the right switches in the postseason before. So perhaps he can do it again.
0: You mentioned that stat about eighty-five um, percent of teams that win the home run battle in a playoff game win that win that game. We also know the the stat, you know, hey, forty percent of runs come via the homer in the regular season. That jumps to closer to fifty percent in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I wonder, Anthony, how do you feel? that will translate for the Minnesota Twins, who have only hit one fewer home run than Texas. They're fifth in Major League Baseball with 222 home runs, but you look at their team, and they might not finish the season with anyone who has 25 home runs. It's kind of, look, a lot lot of the guys have missed time, and and that kind of hurts the totals, but it's also been a more collective approach where they have 12 guys in double digits, might finish with 13 guys in double digits. That is not, to me, what, what... a team that is a, a high home run team traditionally looks like. Um yeah. what do you make uh, of the twins? And there's also, you know, potentially an AL central inflation element to that number.
2: Yeah, there is. I mean not as much as there used to be with the more balanced schedule, but there is still, you know, it's it's certainly baked in there a little bit. And um I don't know what to make of the twins. <laughs> I, I think on one hand on one hand they're dangerous, um, because they will be hosting a best of three and you could certainly make the argument they should not be hosting a best yeah. of three, but they will be hosting a best of three and, uh, and they'll do so with, with Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez starting games one and two. So, you know, that right there, those, those guys have been incredible for them this season and, um, and, and they have some nice bullpen pieces. And as you said, you know, they have power from a lot of different places. And what is the postseason If not, um, an opportunity for, to expose and really hone in on the guys who can beat you, um, you know, with the the scouting is so much more intense and and so much more attention to detail than the regular season. And that's why I think, you know, so many postseason heroes are, you know, surprising sources, you know, um, you know, guys guys just get hot at the right time. And it's, you know, uh, Eddie Rosario a couple years ago from the Braves is a perfect example. Had a miserable season and they got hot because, you know, you're keyed in on the big guys and then the little guys beat you, you know. And the Twins do have a lot of guys who can hit the ball in the ballpark, as you just said. Um, you know, a lot of guys with double-digit home runs. So while they don't have a superstar year and Correa did not have you know, the MVP type year, they had hoped from him. Um, Buxton did not have a good year. Uh, they do have a lot of guys who can, you know, change a game with one swing of the bat and, and that can make be a difference maker or they could be done in two games because they're the twins and, they just have, you know, they're not an imposing team. So, I don't know it's it's baseball it's 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 who's hot right now you know
0: yeah you could certainly see a scenario where the twins go into a three game or they have Lopez and Gray they have a lineup with nine all nine hitters have double digit home runs and they play off baseball their way you know win a couple four two games or something like that Um, but also you know I I was going to ask about the Rays and how banged up they are we'll get some updates today and tomorrow from the Minnesota Twins Um, they have an injury list that's a, a mile long right now as well so Anthony again with with the caveat that anything can happen in a three-game series, it's the playoffs. Who knows? Uh, when you look at the fact that Minnesota is going to uh, host a wild card series here, Tampa Bay is eleven and a half games better than them in the standings, and they will also host yeah. a wild card series. Um, look, Tampa Bay is real banged up right now. We- we've talked all year about the- their rotation missing so many pieces. Now Randy Rosarena is banged up. Um, how, just how big a gap do you see between the Rays and Minnesota? Because, you know, we're heading into a week here where, you know, to to, to Toronto focus this, the Jays could have a playoff spot locked up as early as Wednesday and maybe not care mm-hmm. at all between wildcard two and wildcard three.
2: Yeah, maybe not. Um and, and yeah, the twins are absolutely banged up at the worst possible time. So that's why, you know, for them to, be at their best and 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 overcome nobody will be expecting much of the twins regardless of them hosting that series um they they certainly need to be in a better health position and you know royce lewis was a huge jolt for them and um you know he's he's dealing with the hamstring and they hope to have him back for for the postseason series um you know it's i it, correa is he had just started to look like Correa a little bit, you know, late in the season, and and then he's got the plantar fasciitis. So, um, so those are big blows. The Rays are kind of accustomed to overcoming. <laughs> they do. That's kind of their bottle is. Yeah, they have pitchers who break because they get these guys who are, you know, in, incredible spin and uh, just incredible stuff, but incredibly fragile as a result of that stuff, you know, and. Their their pitching staff is typically built to break and and just replenish it as the season goes along with with other guys who are built to break and have great stuff and they just keep going. Um, this year is that that's been compounded um, by the you know really brutal Wander Franco news and um, and as you said Rosarina is now banged up but it's kind of like with the Rays you just kind of shrug your shoulders and figure out that if you just figure they will find a way to be in a competitive series you know, with the number of arms they have and the way they deploy them. And Kevin Cash, I would argue, I think Kevin Cash and, and Craig Council of the Brewers are, are the two best, you know, in-game strategic managers in baseball. And so that, in a short series in particular, in a best of three, you know, that's that's a big advantage for them in the dugout. Um, so long story short, you know, if it's a choice, I'd, I'd probably rather face the Twins than the Rays. That's uh, just me.
0: Yeah, no, the The manager factor is a big one. And obviously we'll see, uh, we'll see with the Brewers, ha- how that plays out as well. But yeah, you got to, you got to trust Kevin Gash at this point to, to get the most out of this group. Um, Anthony, I know you were, you, you took the kids to a guardians game this weekend. The guardians don't have much of an impact <laughs> yeah. on the playoffs this year, but uh, Hey, junior Cam Manaro, he he's, he's contributing a, a little bit here for these <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays, uh, man. How much are they kicking themselves for that one?
2: That one hurts. That one hurts. They gave up on him early. He was um I believe 17 years old when they traded him, maybe 18, but um you know, there was just one of those roster situations where uh you know, the Rays had a guy who uh you know, a, a pitcher who um you know, they weren't gonna be able to protect and and you know be so raw at 17 years old, so you can't, you know, <laughs> kick him for this too much, but it hurts, man. It hurts to see him quickly rise up and become one of the most exciting prospects in MLB and, you know, for the guardians, that's, that's kind of been par for the course where they've been so good at, at trading for pitching and developing pitching. And so, you know, bad on the offensive side, they've really struggled there. They haven't drafted particularly well outside of Francisco Lindor. Um, they haven't developed well outside of Lindor and Jose Ramirez. Um, they've been looking for power in the outfield for a generation. Um, And they do have a lot of intriguing middle infield guys, but Camonero would have been a, um, a, a nice piece right now where they're really trying to figure out who their shortstop of the future is.
0: Uh, I want so let us stay on a, a Cleveland positive here though. You you mentioned Jose Ramirez and you wrote and narrated this terrific piece on Jose Ramirez, kind of you know growing into the position of role model and, and using his status uh, to give back. H- how special a person ha- is Jose Ramirez as, as you've you know gotten to know him a little bit more and know his story and how he does try to uh, to give back. He seems not only very very important to Cleveland but very important to baseball back home and very important to baseball in general
2: yeah he's he's a superstar and yet underrated at the same time um because yeah he's he's uh, he's won four silver sluggers he's been an all-star a handful of times he's you know typically in the top five or six of the mvp voting um but he's never won an mvp you know so he's kind of and he played in cleveland you know and he signed a below market deal to stay in cleveland for his you know his all his prime years which is so unusual um, but when you dig into his story, you see how that can happen and why that can happen is here's a guy who's, you know, he's listed at five foot nine. I'm five foot nine. I don't think Jose Ramirez is five foot nine. Um, and he's always been, you know, you know, growing up in the Dominican, he was always the smallest guy in the field, and he was poor, and um, you know, glove was too small for his hand, and all these things, and and overlooked. You know, they all the top prospects in the Dominican signed by the time they're 16 years old. He wasn't signed at 16. Uh, he was filling in in a showcase and um, had a, had a great weekend and, and the guardian of uh, the Indians at the time signed him for 50 grand and uh, at 17 years old, and he's in the big leagues by 20, you know, he just hits and hits and hits and hits from both sides and has a great approach. And um, even when he made the big leagues, you know, he was kind of viewed as Francisco Lindor's eventual backup, but, you know, he played himself into a starting role and a starring role and, you know, broke out in 2017 is just this, this force of nature from an extra base hit standpoint. And here he is, man. And I give him a lot of credit because he, he hasn't forgotten where he's come from. You know, he's refurbishing this, this, you know, awful brutal beat up field that he grew up playing on and learning the game on uh, him him and the team are going to refurbish that in the Dominican. And then here locally in Cleveland, uh, the largest Hispanic neighborhood in the city uh he, he donated to to build Jose Ramirez field. So it's rare to see like an active field an active player with a field named after him like that. But you know, he wants kids who are growing up in tough circumstances like he did to have a proper field and proper equipment and, and a chance, you know, a, a chance to better their lives and, and stay in school and, and all the things that, that he feels are so important.
0: Well, it, it makes you wonder how uh, Toros del Este could, it could ever trade him away, even for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, in, the, <laughs> in the Dominican League. Um, Anthony, right. before I let you go here, um, a, a guy I know you're fond of, Joey Votto, kind of had what felt like a... A final goodbye yeah. to the people in Cincinnati this weekend. Votto has not tipped his hand too dramatically about what's happening after yeah. this year, but you know, certainly a better way to go out than last year would have been. He's 40 years old. Uh, how, how long do you think before we're seeing him, you know, with you guys on MLB network or, or somewhere like that?
2: <laughs> oh man, that would be incredible. I I don't know what the future holds for Joey Votto post baseball and, and even post the season, you know, what, what what he'll get into next year if, if he'll want to keep playing and but um now what a great pro uh what a great steward for for that franchise i happened to be in cincinnati when he signed that extension and i remember another player uh coming up to him saying uh, what was the extension 12 years or something um, something like that yeah. 10 years or 10 years i think, years it, was, with I think options. it was like yeah. 10 adi- 10 additional years on top of what he are so anyway the guy said well x number of years and he said yeah what am i doing <laughs> and, uh, um, but you know he, it's been uh, you know rough at times there for him in Cincinnati, um, where they've struggled to you know put the proper team around him, and sometimes he's had great years on bad teams, and uh, he's dealt with injuries, but he's just always been such a great representative of the game, and and over time we've seen this great, incredible personality come out of him, something that you knew was in there um, based on interactions with him, but he's been more comfortable showing everybody that. And very insightful, you know, about he's got incredibly scientific approach to hitting. Um, he has remade himself along the way, and that's not easy to do. It's just turn on the switch and say, okay, I'm going to be a power hitter now because the game is about power, and he just did it um, late in his career. Um, you know, just you guys should be proud to have to have birthed him up there in Canada because he's he's just he's everything you want in a ball player, and it was great to see him have that moment. And then in true Vado fashion, you know, some humor mixed in where he says, all right, I got to go hit now <laughs> <laughs> um, after the long uh, ovation. So, yeah, I was glad he got that moment. And I don't know what the future holds for him, but it'll it'll be bright in whatever Joey decides to do. I know that. Yeah,
0: I agree with the agree with you on that, and yeah, the the humor too in the in the post gamer of hey, you guys almost made me cry, but there's no crying in baseball, and yeah, hamming it up, <laughs> hamming it up a little bit. Uh, the Reds are two and a half games back in that spot. Their their magic number for elimination is down to yeah. four. Uh, Arizona, Chicago, and Miami all separated by just a game and a half there for uh, for two spots. Do you have a a lean on that one? Do you have a, a sense of who you think's going to emerge?
2: Everybody who asks me that, I give the same terrible answer which is whoever plays well the last week (laughs) and that's just because and I know that's an easy answer and it's not analytical at all, but in this case in particular, those are all flawed teams. You know, Mm -hmm. they are here for a reason. They are in this battle for a reason. I can pick apart every one of those teams. And um you know the the Reds had an absolutely brutal weekend, you know, blowing a nine nothing lead to the Pirates and that you know, that felt like a death blow for them. You just can't lose a game like that in this environment. Um, it would be really fun to see the, the, the uh, Marlins pull it off, you know. But um, I went into the season really liking Arizona, really digging, like, how their style of baseball could play up in this environment. And in, in some stretches it really has. They had a terrible, you know, midseason. But, um, you know, I, I think they're going to pull off a spot. I really do. And you know, the, the Cubs are probably the better team than the Marlins. So they should be able to hold them off. Um, and, and they seem to have kind of righted the ship at the right time. So I don't know. I mean, those are the two teams in position right now and I'm going chalk, I guess, but I I kind of feel like that's what it'll be. Well, the
0: Marlins got to keep, it's got to stop losing players who fall down the stairs when the lights go out as well. Uh, <laughs> Luis
2: yeah. And, you know, and we're talking about a team with a minus 51 run differential going into this week. So it's like, you know, you are what you are at a certain point. Um, and they'd be a statistical outlier to pull it off, you know? Yeah. So you, you
0: we'll are, you are what you are unless you you, uh, you get to play the Mets in the final week of the season. And who knows, maybe then you're, you're greater than what you are.
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, and you know, it's, it's not about how good you are. It's when you are good. Right. <laughs> and the blue Jays are an example of that right now. I mean, they're good right now. And they're the team, the offense this weekend is the offense we expect to see. And, you know, Vladdy goes deep twice, and George Springer is running around the bases, and um, that's the fun Blue Jays, life we expect to see. So, you know, you don't have to be good all year. Just be good when you need to be good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's about time, and let's hope the Jays are, are peeking at the proper one here. Uh, Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com, author of A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics. Thank you so much for taking the time out this morning. Enjoy this week.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having
0: me. Anthony Castrovince, MLB dot com Cleveland based a really really great feature written and narrated on Jose Ramirez uh, the other day over at mlb.com or guardians.com. Make sure you check that out. We're going to take a break. When we come back Arden's Welling will join us in studio for the second hour. We'll take a, a longer look at the series that was we'll set up this week where the Blue Jays could they probably won't but they could potentially clinch a playoff spot as early as Wednesday night uh, if they go three and three the rest of the way, they are in. If they go 2-4, and four, they are very likely to be in. Anything less than that, you're starting to do a, a lot more out-of-town scoreboard watching and things like that. But they're in a, in a pretty good spot here. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll reset the week to come with Arden's Welling as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. That's the one
3: your daily dose of everything
1: NFL. It's the fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's talk plus I'm Blake Murphy. Joined in studio for the next hour by Arden Welling. Arden, so a little background. I get in usually two, sometimes two and a half hours before the show to prep. And today... Arden, is, Arden beats me in here. He's coming in bef- just as I'm coming in. Uh, man, how do you have energy, any energy <laughs> left
3: after uh, a marathon training session like that? Well, I'm an early riser, so whether I want to be or not, so I'm typically up kind of, like, this isn't like a rise and grind thing. It's just when I wake up, I swear to God, just in the 5 o'clock hours, so, like, I'm up. I've got my coffee and I can only sit around and read and do (laughs) nothing for so long. So that's why I'm in pretty early.
0: Especially last week you, you were, you had less on your plate and you were telling us about the, you know, the menial tasks and things like that. Uh, the weekend was also a big one in the Rugby World Cup. Are you are you fully caught up if I if I bring up the Rugby World Cup right now? I know the results because okay.
3: of these damn group chats that, uh, you know, just uh, are the bane of my existence. But, yeah, I know the results, okay. but I haven't seen the, the actual play. Okay, because there was a big one Saturday, right? Ireland, yes. South Africa? Absolutely. I watched the first 20 minutes of that, okay. and I haven't seen the rest of it. But it looked like a pretty good match. Well, if you're not caught
0: up after a weekend where you weren't working the games, I don't know that you'll be <laughs> caught up anytime soon because I don't know if you've seen, but the Blue Jays are probably headed to the playoffs. They're in a spot now where they're two and a half games up. Uh, three wins this week would guarantee a playoff spot. Probabilistically, two wins gets you in. Uh, how you? How are you feeling? How How do you size up this week given that there's a little bit more comfort than maybe we expected at this point
3: you're just trying to clinch as early as possible really and trying to inch up the point where the rest of the games are irrelevant, and you've secured your postseason position you're not going to be hosting a wild card Mm -hmm. like that's the one thing that i think is worth pushing to the end for even if you have clinched postseason is hosting the wild card series blue jays can't do that seven and a half back They're going somewhere, whether it's Minneapolis, St. Pete, outside possibility of Baltimore, but very likely one of those first two. Uh, So once you clinch postseason, then it's, all right, let's get to work on our checklist of how do we get ready for that series. So you go around your bullpen and you ask everybody, what kind of work do you need? What kind of rest do you need? How do we put you in the best possible position? How do we align our rotation? You've already got... Ryu Kikuchi lined up for Friday, Saturday. That is optimal. Push back Kevin Gosman off of Sunday. You call up about in Francis. You're throwing him and Trevor Richards and whoever else on the Sunday. Hey, who do we need to get exposure to certain game situations? Do we want Cam Eden to attempt a stolen base? How many plate appearances do we want to get Brandon Belt? Uh, Do we want to get somebody into maybe even an unideal like platoon scenario? just to see that if mm-hmm. it comes up, right? If it comes up that Kevin Biggio has to face a lefty in the wildcard series, well, let's get him exposure to a lefty uh, this week if, if the situation presents itself. You just go down your task list of putting all of your ducks in a row for the wildcard series. So you're just trying to get to that point as quickly as possible. Good way to do that would be winning two or three against the Yankees and getting some more help on the out-of-town scoreboard.
0: Yeah, so there is a scenario where, and it's not the likeliest scenario, but it is possible that, the Jays could clinch a playoff spot Wednesday. Now, I think because of game time starts, they actually wouldn't know on the field that they clinched Wednesday. They would find out uh, about an, who knows, maybe it's another 13-inning game and they do find out on the field. Um, But Arden, you're going to be on the call all week. Uh, You're doing the broadcast with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network uh, for the Yankee series, for the Rays series. Um, This is a bit of a... you know inside baseball but your prep over the next little bit what your week looks like versus what you do if you're writing or, or doing tv how does that change for you this week
3: same i mean just getting familiar with the bullpens and the matchups how you know new york it helps that they just played new york and tampa so we've seen it uh just how they like to deploy players with in new york's case it's kind of familiarizing yourself with some different players that you haven't necessarily <laughs> seen before because they're blooding some younger guys. But, hey, Tampa, I mean, they keep having stars, like, drop like flies. So Tampa even is having some some new players that maybe you're not familiar with uh, coming up and, and playing in big spots. So just... Yeah, familiarizing yourself with uh, the lineups and the deployments and learning as much as you can.
0: A lot of looking at the Scranton Wilkes-Bear uh, stats from the year <laughs> as you get ready for uh, some of these Yankee guys. Uh, Esteban Floreal in there every day now and Austin Wells catching most days. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, a weird Yankees team at this point. The Jays, by the way, uh, w- maybe the Yankees juggle this. They haven't announced their starters yet, but on on turn, it would be Michael King Garrett Cole, Luke Weaver. So, uh, once again, the Jays don't see a lefty. They're not going to see one against Tampa Bay. They would not see one against Tampa Bay or Minnesota in the wild card round. Um, so, when it comes to Tampa Bay, you mentioned if the Jays lock up a spot, they'll have their checklist of things to do. Tampa Bay is probably before this weekend series going to know that they're locked into wild card one. Uh, the magic number for the Orioles to clinch the AL East is only three. So, by the time Friday rolls around, uh, we'll probably know that the Orioles have won the East and Tampa doesn't have anything meaningful to play for. Um, how how weird do you think that series is going to be where, <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm sure there are times in the past where a team has played an, an opponent late in the year, the final week of the season, and then and played them again in the playoffs. But six of the last nine, including the last three right before you play them in the postseason, look, you can't. You can't use a 40-man roster uh, for those games. You can't play guys who aren't going to play. But do you think there will be a little bit of gamesmanship between Cash and Schneider too? Not only in going on their own checklist, but trying to disrupt the other team's checklist or, or not show your hand a little bit.
3: It has the potential to be bizarre because they're going to be playing these very low stakes games ahead of the highest stakes games and as you said neither team is going to want to allow the other an advantage or a look into tactics it's not exactly like basketball or football where it's we're just not going to run those plays (laughs) right we're not going (laughs) to run the the home run play yeah so it's still like it's still baseball still pitcher versus batter um i mean the sunday game likely i don't think you're going to see anybody of consequence playing in that game uh and maybe even the Saturday game as well or maybe it's like a a half game for certain guys just to get a couple swings and then get them out of there uh so it's going to be interesting just to see like how that plays out how deployment plays out like who's used who's not um and yeah just what the intensity level is like because it's two teams that are, they, they know each other well already. And they're, I mean, the advanced scouting has been going on for quite some time of, I know on the Blue Jays' end, of any potential postseason opponent since August. I mean, mm-hmm. they've had eyes, like people on the ground, in person, following Minnesota, following Tampa, you know, following Baltimore, following the teams that they could be playing. Uh, they had an advanced scout, like, following the Rangers for a while ahead of that four-game set earlier this month. Oops. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I don't know if that comes down to advanced scouting when you get throttled (laughs) by, like, 28 runs or whatever they were, but, so, like, you know, it's, it's, these teams have a very good idea of each other and what each other likes to do, so, yeah, I don't know how much, like, the tactical stuff will come into play in that Mm -hmm. odd weekend set if they are playing each other, but it is going to be just an interesting scene considering what we are, you know, anticipating.
0: Here's the nice thing about this year's schedule is you close at home. So you don't have the potential for a rainout on the second to last day of the season Then you got to play a doubleheader in meaningless baseball on the final day, like they did last year, where, you know, you only get one extra guy. They had to play a double header right before the playoffs. Bit of a weird one. Uh, we heard that day because of how certain relievers were used and stuff. Um, it, it's a little bit of, Look, someone has to pitch the nine innings, but guys have a little bit of input in terms of, uh, you know, if they're going to get into a game, how much they want to get into a game. How much are those couple of days going to be – Like, look, like you said, the Bowden Francis's of the world, maybe Nate Pearson of the world, they're going to fill in whatever gaps the main guys decide they don't want to fill. How much are the guys in that bullpen, the guys in that
3: lineup going to have some say over over their role in the final days? I think they have a lot of say. If somebody wants an inning on the Sunday, if somebody hasn't pitched for a while or just, like, wants to work through some things, I think that they'll get that. And I think that what you do then on the Sunday, if the game is irrelevant, is you actually start that guy. Mm-hmm. So if it's like... Let on, him get
0: his work in and...
3: Yeah, and get and let him know, like, he knows when the work is going to be done and, you know, it's just early in the game and you get out of the way. So honestly, like, if, say, on that Sunday, just for the sake of example, like, Jordan Hicks and Jimmy Garcia both, like, need work, haven't pitched in a while, want to be on the mound, like, want to stay uh, regular, uh, then throw Jordan Hicks, like in the first inning and mm-hmm. Jimmy Garcia in the second, and then let Bowden Francis come in and pitch five and Nate Pearson pitches two after that, but just throw them like to start the game right away. I know it kind of makes a bit of a mockery of like the competition of it all. I and mean, the, the standings <laughs> yeah. of the standings, right? It, yeah, it is what it is. So uh, that's the way that I would approach it.
0: Yeah. So last year for a reminder, again, it was a double header day. So it was a bit, a bit odd, but Trevor Richards started game one, Simber Garcia and Romano were, All got an inning two, three, four. And then Mitch White came in and did four innings. And in the second game, it was actually David Phelps who started, and then they got work for Anthony Bass and Tim Meza before they turned it over to uh, Casey Lawrence, Yusei Kikuchi, and Trent Thornton. I don't know that we'll see Kikuchi out of the bullpen in one of those games, considering he's lined up as a starter on the the Saturday there. Um, So this weekend, and and I do want to talk a bit about the state of that Rays team. Obviously, you take two of three at the Trop. You feel good about it pretty much any time. The Rays... Even banged up, we're able to get to Hyunjin Ryu and Yusei Kikuchi a little bit uh, Saturday and Sunday. Ryu chased in the fifth, Kikuchi pulled after the fourth. Um, What did you, you know, is there any sort of yellow flag there for you? Is this just a a pretty good team getting to your guys? Um, You know, I I think specifically about the leash that those guys have had versus the other three starters and what maybe, you know, that, that weekend what impact maybe that weekend has on, on certain decisions to come?
3: It's been pretty clear for some time that the Blue Jays' three starters in a wild card series were going to be Gosman, Brios, Bassett. Mm-hmm. Gosman game one, and honestly, with the next two, it's a coin flip for me who you like better in game two. Really, I think it's a little bit opponent dependent. The yeah. Twins
0: are just so lefty heavy right. that I, I maybe downgrade Bassett a little bit, in a, and they're also second
3: in the AL in home runs. So you look at the two things that have yeah. hurt Bassett at times this year. We're talking percentage points yeah. really between Barrios and Bassett is who your number two is in that series. So you feel really good about your starters for wildcard series. So you start there and that's great because you're not looking to a hunginy where you say Kikuchi to be throwing the third game of a wild card series. You're not like, uh oh, if it gets to this guy and he hasn't looked great lately. With Ryu on the weekend, I thought just the command wasn't there. He needs to be so precise with, you know, when you're throwing 89-90 against big league hitters in the year 2023, uh, you have to be very fine to the edges of the zone. And Hunjin Ryu up until this start on the weekend had been really fine to the edges of the zone, like had one of the highest edge rates of any starter since he had returned from the I.L., but just didn't have it on the weekend, particularly with his fastball. So um, you're going to want to see him kind of regain that command this week when he pitches again. I think he's lined up for Friday. And, uh, you know, Sanjin Ryu, like his whole thing is command and mm-hmm. painting and picking the corners. So you trust that he'll be able to rediscover that. With Kikuchi, I mean, we saw a bit more of a worrying trend, whereas Ryu is a bit of an aberration with Kikuchi. Like, he just hasn't had confidence in his fastball for some time, Blake. Like, yeah, he, do, he really wasn't throwing it in the zone at all yesterday. No, and he hasn't been throwing it as much as he was earlier in the season. I don't know if he's lost a feel for it or, um, you know, if he's uncertain of the velo in it or what is behind it but his fastball usage has decreased his aggressiveness with it on the plate has decreased i think that's allowed opposition lineups to sit spin whether it's the breaking ball or the slider which sometimes morphs into a cutter i think that's why you're seeing some of the damage from him and the changeup just really hasn't been much of a weapon for him at all all years so if he's going out just kind of flipping breaking balls i think the big league hitters are really good they're going to recognize that they're going to sit on those pitches they're going to get one on the fat part of the plate and they're going to punish it. So you want to see Yusei Kikuchi get back to trusting his fastball. Um, I don't know what needs to happen to get him there, but instead, you know, on the Ryu side, it's a bit of an aberration with Ryu. Or on the Ryu side, it's a bit of an aberration. On the Kikuchi side, it's now a bit of a trend, which is definitely worrying. Yeah, and of course, he looked obviously
0: very, very good in that Yankees start that he came out of early with the the trap cramping or or spasming, Um, but you look at the last seven starts, 524 ERA, and that's after taking away a whole bunch of unearned runs in the Colorado game where he didn't pitch particularly well either, and even if we're willing to say, hey, Coors Field, your breaking ball doesn't break the way it does, whatever, um, you know, this is a seven-game stretch now where the ERA is at at 524, so in terms of who would pitch in in certain playoff scenarios, you deal with the DS once you get there, that's a five-game series, Uh, that's a another bucket of problems that we won't even we won't count that far ahead uh, at all right now in a three game wild card series though if Bassett is your number 3 or or number 2 however it shakes out um are you given that he hasn't pitched in that role this year but has pitched in it last year are you making Yusei Kikuchi available to you out of the bullpen as a as a third lefty in a in a situation like that
3: you mentioned the twins being
0: left very lefty
3: heavy yeah I mean you say Kikuchi could have some utility out of the bullpen if he's like willing to make that change in role and if he's adaptable and he feels like he can take on that challenge because you want to have that conversation with him you mm-hmm. don't just say to him here's what you're doing now like you sit down with him and you say hey here's how we envision you like helping us in the wild card series would that be okay with you would you be cool with those routines how's your arm feeling your body feeling etc um And then, yeah, I think that that would make some sense for the Twins, maybe not as much sense for the Rays. Yeah, but only three lefties on the Rays and only two you're really worried about at all, and you've got Meza and Cabrera. Comes down as well to where's your confidence at into Meza and Yenesis Cabrera. Mm-hmm. I would assume it's pretty high into Meza. I think with Yenesis Cabrera, it's a little bit more vi- variable, right? Because yeah. we've seen lately he hasn't been as consistent with the zone. Uh, and that's something, a problem that plagued him throughout his career, honestly, but certainly like the first few months of this year, that's why he's no longer a St. Louis Cardinal. Came to the Blue Jays. They helped him get in the zone like a lot more consistently, told their catchers, hey, just set up middle-middle, told him just have the intent of throwing your pitch middle-middle and letting it the action on it carry it to the edges. I don't know if there's something mechanical or something that needs to be kind of adjusted to get him back to being in the zone more often, but that's something that you want to find out this week. See where's your trust level at with him so that you know, hey, we have two lefties in our bullpen that we really trust going into a wild card series. If it's only one into Mesa, well then that does increase maybe the uh, the possibility, the likelihood of you Kikuchi being a reliever in this series,
0: yeah, and Cabrera really hasn't pitched much lately. He only pitched once all of last week, uh, so we'll be looking at you know heading into tomorrow, he'll have thrown six pitches over eight days. Right. So you you probably want to uh, get him in there and see how he feels and how he looks. Although Tim Mesa hasn't been used much to, uh, much of late either. Um, I, I know you weren't on the series, so apologies if you weren't locked into the the pitch by pitch. But what did you think of the decision to leave Romano in? Uh, Saturday as he kind of struggled. There was a potential for a lefty-lefty usage with two outs Meza against Lowe. John Schneider opted to trust Jordan Romano in that spot. He blew the save. Look, I know the, the typical... F- Thing is everyone overreacts to every closer blown save. He was on an MLB leading consecutive save streak. So probably not a lot of concern there, but the micro decision of, Hey, Romano's dealing with a cracked fingernail. He maybe doesn't have the best stuff today. We've got our lefty ready for low. Um, What did
3: you make of that decision or rather non-decision from Schneider? So I think in a playoff game, a different decision is made. Yeah. Right. Because like we, we all see it right we know lowe's numbers against lefties. he's mazes ready we've seen how romano's looked on the mound we've seen him looking at his hand we've seen the hits that he's given up it seemed like he didn't have it on that day he was battling for all those reasons in a postseason game i think you make the move but i think in a regular season game john schneider opted and you can agree with this or not to trust his closer to trust one of the best closers in baseball not only this year but over like the last three yeah, So I, 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 don't, I think that's defensible, <laughs> like trusting that guy. If you don't trust Jordan Romano, who, right? Him, class A, like we're talking like such a...
0: Devin Williams
3: is the only guy,
0: like if we look at win probability added, which is in my estimation our best stat for, for relief pitcher effectiveness based on situation and stuff like that. Romano's number one in the league over the last three years
3: and Devin Williams is the only guy close. We're talking such a small class of relievers who would be... You know, class A. who would be uh, you know just who would earn that that level of trust so I get it I think that in the postseason a different decision is made obviously Blue Jays got burned for it there but I didn't think Romano executed that poorly either with some of his pitches like he just uh, they just kind of found holes and the Rays did a good job of putting contact on pitches and yeah it wasn't like the 99 Jordan Romano that we've seen but I thought he made good pitches uh, and I thought he got babbipped a little bit, but you know, for a guy who was pitching with a cracked fingernail, I was kind of honestly impressed with his ability to continue executing and to pitch through that. Maybe a little bit of experience there that'll be necessary in October, because in October, I mean, you're not going to feel your best, and in a wildcard series, you might pitch on a back-to-back. You might pitch three days in a row and need to pitch through some stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, look, if this that's the thing about the new wildcard format, right, is it's a three-game series with no travel and no off days. You got to think just about everyone's available all three days. If uh, I mean, you're not saving the the bullets for anything at that point, right? All hands on deck. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this Rays team, they they got to Romano there a little bit. Uh, credit to the Jays for even coming back in that one. We haven't seen them do that a ton when they get behind in games. Showed sure, a lot um, of fight in that series. Um, they did. Honestly. They did. And this is a Rays team that, you know, hung around. And even Sunday, they, they win by four. But the, the Rays kept tacking on runs. And the Jays had to respond with insurance runs. This is a Rays team that... You know, we'll see what the status of Randy Rosarena is in the coming days. They are pretty banged up. Brandon Lau on the IL, Luke Rayleigh on the IL. Obviously, everything that's been made of their starting rotation injuries, and now Jason Adam, the closer, hitting the IL as well. Um, this is still a good and deep raise team. Where are you in terms of the overall quality of this Rays team, though? Because it does look like when you when you add up all the injuries that they've they currently have maybe not quite the 95 and 62 Rays. Obviously we have to be deferential about just how good they are and Kevin Cash and the Rays optimizing things. But um, are you at all downgrading in your head, kind of the overall quality of this Rays team as these
3: injuries kind of cascade? They're not as good on paper as the team that we saw over the first three months, four months, five months of the season. Like clearly, look, they got an all-star team on the IL, right? <laughs> so like some of the talent... That they have lost. Uh, Other organizations would not be able to withstand, like, this level of... Four number two (laughs) starter caliber guys on the I.L.? Yeah. I mean, this would sink a lot of seasons, and it's a credit to the Rays' depth and their... Imagine the Jays if four... Guys who opened the season in the rotation were on the IL right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would be Mitch White, Bowden Francis. Wes Parsons. Wes Parsons, yeah. <laughs> it would be guys that a lot of Blue Jays <laughs> fans haven't even heard of pitching for them right now. Mitch White, by the way, uh, continues to roll. What Seven really good starts to end the season. It, look, it's, this is a diversion. But no, it's fine. Look at what happened to Bowden Francis last year, right? Bowden Francis started the year. Velo was down. He was a little bit banged up. Got outright off the roster. Any team in baseball could have taken him from the Jays. They opted not to. He stayed in Buffalo, like went down to Dunedin, did some work in the pitching lab, figured some things out with his mechanics, his delivery, got healthier, Velo came up, curveball got better, went to winter ball, pitched well there, came into camp, impressed a bunch of people. And now he's the Bowden Francis of this year, who's mm-hmm. been a really useful big leaguer for the Blue Jays. It wouldn't be unheard of if Mitch White had a similar arc after this spring, dealing with some shoulder stuff and starting the year on the IL, being behind the eight ball, Velo down, like, has didn't have a ton of confidence in his secondary stuff. Again, like, outright off their roster, you know, no team took him, goes to Buffalo, works on some things, gets back up to speed, and pitches well. Like, don't write off Mitch White in 2024.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pitching, right? Don't write off anyone if, yeah. there's a, if there's a reason you like them in the first place. I mean, look, there is a scenario where he gets claimed. We, we had even talked about it. Don't, I don't know if it was with you or, or with someone else, but uh, the potential of, like, maybe he was a Junior Camonero-style 40-man clear-a-space trade at the deadline, right, which was kind of what he was the year before when the Jays acquired him. That was part of why he was available was the Dodgers having a 40-man crunch. But he went unclaimed. And, yeah, over his last uh, seven starts, he threw 33 in a third inning with a 189 ERA and 43 Ks in 33 in a third inning. So uh, a lot working there. Not enough that you're, you know, putting him in in pen, but clearly still a guy. Uh, I got asked this on Twitter, so I'll just clarify here as well. As someone who was outright assigned to AAA, it was his first outright assignment. Uh, so he can't elect minor league free agency this offseason, and he's not Rule 5 eligible. So he is in the in the org. So um, that is uh, that is a name. Or sorry, he is Rule 5 eligible, rather, um, like Bowden Francis was last year. But the odds of someone getting Rule 5 are are... Uh, you know, pretty,
3: pretty, pretty slim. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Most encouraging thing is the Velo. Like yeah. 97, right? Like we just didn't see that in spring and he like battled some really significant shoulder stuff and tried to pitch through it. Like remember how he was kind of getting injections in the spring and on mm-hmm. the IL and yeah, he should be coming off, but oh, he had a little setback and he's not quite there and then had a pretty like deliberate buildup for the year. So he was just buying the eight ball all year. To answer your original question with the Rays, yeah. like, I don't obviously rate them as highly as I would have in May and June, July, even August. But the thing is like whatever the teams are on paper in the postseason, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, like how do the, ask the Braves about that last year. Like ask the Dodgers, right? Like ask. Oh, the Dodgers who have made the playoffs 11 years in a row now and only one ring to show for it. Yeah. You know, like the, you know, ask the Padres who last year in the postseason, I think had as much talent on their roster as any team last year in the playoffs i mean it's 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 a crazy tournament where and i talked to ben about this on the podcast all the time like in any postseason game i would not put the odds beyond 55 right. 45 for the favorite like for the team that you think is better so like i i don't know like pick, pick the most lopsided matchup in these playoffs that you could i think that the favorite is only is no greater than a 55 percent likelihood to win it's baseball it's one game and yeah. the sample is small so like all our projections like all the trends all the kind of long sample stuff that we've been analyzing over the course of the year like that just all gets thrown out and it becomes a crazy postseason series where anything can happen and if
0: every game is only a 55 45 that means your chances in a series are not are never All that great, especially in a three-game series, Uh, 55-45. You know, you're looking at only a 30% chance of taking both games, even though you're a favorite in both games, right? So, uh, yeah, it gets...
3: it gets pretty dicey pretty quick. We're, I thought the Blue Jays were better on paper than the Mariners last year. I think I, most people did, yeah. right? And how'd that go? Not <laughs> right? very well. You know, we we saw, like, a lot of series like that last year. Like, I didn't think Cleveland was a very good team for the postseason last year, and they won, you know, their series in two games, right? Like, talk to the Braves, you know? The Mets last year won, like, 101 games or more, and they were out in the wildcard round. It's 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 a crazy tournament. To me, like... The Braves, I think, are are the best team in baseball, and they're going to win the most games at the end of the 162 regular season. They should raise a banner, have a parade. We should give them a trophy. We should all celebrate them as the champions of baseball. You are the best baseball team in 2023. You did the best over 162. Congratulations. Go nuts. And then everything that happens after, it's just a fun tournament. And you can throw out everything that's happened before. I mean, that used to be how baseball was, right? Yeah. Like the pen, like there are. I've made this point before, but any
0: baseball movie you watched as a kid was about winning the pennant. Yeah. It was, and then it's like, oh yeah. So Major League Two comes around. Here's a quick uh, montage of what happened and when they actually got to the World Series right. after they won the pennant. They got they got beat real bad and didn't yeah. win. And um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like they were not that far removed from. And, and like uh, NBA fans, NHL fans would push back on this dramatically, but the history of baseball is, yeah, winning your league is really, really important, and then the World Series used to be, yeah, yeah, the two winners will face off, It'll be a fun series, and uh, we'll crown a champion, but the pennant was the biggest thing for a long time.
3: Yeah, that's the way I think. I think the Los Angeles Dodgers are the best baseball team of the last decade, yeah, they 11
0: have. years in a row in the
3: playoffs. It's almost impossible today, right? And they only have one World Series that to me does not devalue what they have accomplished. Like, I just think they have not done well in the tournament for whatever reason. There's been a lot of crazy things that have happened to the Dodgers in these tournaments. But the fact that they have the most wins over the last, I'm sure it's 10 years, it might even be more, whatever it is, means they've been the best baseball team. I think this year, the Atlanta Braves will be the best baseball team. And I think we should celebrate them for (laughs) that. And everything that happens after is just like, wow, that was fun. That was crazy. That was weird. Unless the Jays win the world series,
0: in which case the regular season (laughs) throw it out. And uh, yeah, Um, but no, like, like to, to highlight the craziness of a three game series in baseball, we're almost 162 games in and four teams are separated by two wins for the, for the final two NL wildcard spots. Right. And the AL West is completely up for grabs between three teams. We are 156 games in and we haven't decided most things still. So how are you going to decide it over three games?
3: Yeah, no, exactly. So I I just kind of throw out any kind of preconceived notion about this team's better on paper, that team's got more talent, this team has its rotation lined up better, who cares? It's baseball. Crazy things could happen. Crazy things could happen this week, Blake. The Jays could go 0-6. I don't think it's likely. They could. But it's possible. Like, that's a potential outcome. Like, crazy stuff This is
0: why there's not a little X next to their name in the standings, right? They have not clinched yet.
3: The the smaller you make the sample in baseball, the greater the opportunity for chaos and variance and randomness to impact the outcomes. I know that's not how we like to think about sports, <laughs> but that's the way my I mean works. it's how we should probably think about life in general, right? <laughs> like there is uh yeah, the forces of
0: randomness. Uh anyway, let's hope that they don't go in 6 because it would be a miserable week of calls for you with Ben Wagner. Uh we're going to take a break right now. I guess it would make for a really I mean, exciting weekend. What's the
3: context of the games, right? Like, yeah the games are entertaining. Well, you, yeah, it's it would, all maybe, if it's for. the Texas Rangers series run back, I don't know yeah. if they're uh, that they're all would that be fun. Tough. Yeah, those would be tough.
0: Yeah, uh, all right, let's take a break. Let's uh let's spin a more positive uh vibe and and maybe take A a look ahead, yes, to this Yankee series, but also some wild card roster questions. Arden Zwelling, staying with us as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the SportsEd Radio Network and SportsEd 360.
3: Everything
1: Raptors, before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Arden Welling still with us in studio. Arden is on the call for these last six games with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network, and then you know, unless the Jays go 0-6 this week, as Arden keeps reminding us, uh, he'll be he'll be down wherever the Blue Jays are for the Wild Card Series. Um, so we we teed up, you know, the the or we kind of took the temperature of the Rays a little bit here, and there's a ton of stuff that can happen in a three game series, um, but I think it, if we can sum that up, is that as we look at the Jays here this week and talk about things like, yes, better to clinch earlier so you can set your weekend up, get who needs rest, rest, get who needs work, work. Um, something that is a part of that current and that thinking process is that there's probably not much of a preference to get to wildcard two, right? Like as long as you're in wildcard two and facing the Rays, wildcard three and facing the Twins, the Jays are probably in a mindset where it's like, well, just get in and then whatever happens, it doesn't really matter between those two spots.
3: Yeah, I don't think it makes a difference in a three-game series, whether you're playing Twins or Rays. I mean, you can look at, yeah, the Twins have seen Kevin Gosman well. Like, they've had really good approaches against him. But the counter to that is, well, I trust Kevin Gosman to make an adjustment to that because he's really, really good. And uh, we've seen him make adjustments before against teams that have had really good game plans against him. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that there's any benefit either way. You just you try to get in, and then you try to line things up as optimally as possible for yourself. And then wherever you're flying after Sunday's game is where you're flying. Yeah, that's it, right, is uh, where you... That's it.
0: You you can't do too much. And like the twins
3: are worse
0: than the rays on paper. And they're dealing with a bunch of injuries of their own. They're also second in the American league in home runs. They've got some, you know, mix and match potential with, with how many lefties they have. And they have two Cy Young candidates in their rotation, which uh, if we were going to pick anything that moves the needle in
3: a short playoff series, I'd imagine high-end starting pitching is probably the thing, right? High-end starting pitching and home runs. Yep. And I know I did this last week, yep. but, and we saw it yesterday from the Jays. They need to find a way to hit more home runs, and they they have. I like- mean, look at how much better that team
0: looks when George Springer, Bobachet, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, are all hitting – well, I mean – yeah, if they if they combined for four home runs in a game, I guess the Jays are going to do pretty good pretty well in the playoffs.
3: But yeah, it's it feels different to put up runs in a hurry. Your stars were your stars in that game. And if you're going to succeed in the postseason and go deep, you need your stars to be your stars. You Need George Springer to play like George Springer and like these like guys these guys have the amount of talent and they have shown an ability throughout their careers to do things like this. Like that's why George Springer is paid what he's paid. That's why Bo Bichette someday is very likely to sign like a 300 plus million dollar contract. I mean, that's why Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was an MVP finalist a couple of years ago and why like the entire baseball world outside of Toronto is still incredibly high on him. He is going to be like everyone's like undervalued bounce back pick next year just because of the under the hood stuff, the hard hit rate, like the swing decisions, the discipline, all all those things that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. does well, the amount of 380 foot flyouts that he's hit this year everyone's going to look at that in 2024 and say this guy is going to break out this year like he's going to be that sexy trendy sleeper pick in 2024 so you need those players to be your best players you need to hit home runs like we have seen this throughout like not just last postseason but over the last three postseasons half of the runs scored have been via home run So you need to be hitting some home runs because against a Sonny Gray, like against Pablo Lopez, like it is tough. You're not stringing them together. Yeah. It's tough to work walks against those guys. Like those guys are going to be really fine with their command and they're going to be on the plate. I don't know that you're going to see too many Tyler Glasnow's losing the zone and like melting down entirely or Pete Fairbanks melting down entirely in the postseason. And if you do, that guy is out after, like, two batters. They don't get the same leash that they do in the regular season to try to work through some things like that.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the quality of competition, I mean, you just look at it as, like, well, all the bad teams are gone, and then the good teams are not playing their bad players or bad pitchers as much. And then, yeah, the leashes are tighter, and uh, everyone's a little dialed in where uh, an early September game, maybe you're not, a thousand percent laser focused on every single pitch, the way you would be in a, in a playoff scenario, it only gets harder from here. Uh, the Jays could be getting a little bit of help back this week. Uh, the reports out of Tampa Bay were that Brandon belt maybe could have been activated Sunday. If they decided to go that route, he'll get an extra off day today. Um, what do you think Brandon belt needs to, do or show or for the Jays to be and for Brendan Belt himself to be fully comfortable by the end of this week. Obviously he's going to be on the playoff roster if he is healthy enough, but um, you know, the role could be, pinch hitter extraordinaire it could be everyday dh given the the number of righties facing what do they need to see what do you need to see from brandon belt this week
3: it's funny like brandon belt at this stage in his career is as much of a show-and-go player as i think that i've been around in some time like he does not need a lot to feel like he's ready to hit big league pitching like even just talking to blue jays hitting coaches like they talk about his pregame routine he goes in to swing in the batting cages and he can find what he's looking for in terms of a feel or mechanics or like what he wants to see, like how he wants his bat path to look against certain pitches. He can find that in like a dozen swings. There's guys who take hundreds of swings. Well, we saw Vlad years. do like a 45-minute yeah. one last week. He, Brandon Bill can find it very quickly and then say, I found it. I'm good. I'm ready to go out and face big league pitching. And you cannot argue with the results, right? Like, you look at it over his career. Like, he has done very, very well against very good pitching. So, and, and his approach as well. It's not like he goes out and he's super aggressive and he's whiffing at sliders outside the zone. Like, he is as refined in his swing decisions as anybody like he sees a ton of pitches per plate appearance he walks a lot he gets jobbed all the time on you know pitches like a ball width off the plate that should have been called balls that are called strikes so yeah i actually i ran the
0: numbers on this recently because davis schneider is like lapping the league in terms of called strikes that actually should have been a ball, based on the the zones that we see, and Belt and Biggio are both right near the lead, right near the
3: top of the leaderboard as well. Yeah, so I I don't think that he needs much, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think you activate him on Tuesday if he's ready to go, and you're facing a ton of righties, so you got plenty of opportunities to get him in there. Just get him seeing some big league plate appearances, feeling that adrenaline, you know, feeling what it's like to you know try to. Uh, judge pitches in front of 40,000 people and just get him back to being Brandon Belt. But he's a guy who, like, remember, he essentially, like, he really didn't play much during spring training because he came in and said, yeah, I don't need much. When he got hurt midseason, he was out for whatever, 10 days, didn't take a rehab assignment, came right back into the lineup. So I I don't think Brandon Belt needs much runway to get back to being himself. And I think he's an important guy in a postseason series because it lengthens the Blue Jays lineup in a meaningful way.
0: Um yeah the, as to the the getting job I think you know the challenge system might get here at some point. Also, if you have like a 97th percentile uh, chase rate, uh, you just don't swing and stuff. May, maybe the umpire <laughs> scouts your stat gas page a little bit. I was like, okay, well, Brandon Belt is maybe on the benefit of the doubt side uh, of things. In terms of uh, lineup iterations, Kevin Biggio has been hitting cleanup for this team. Uh, he was in the three hole when when Vlad wa- was out for a couple days there. Vlad's kind of settled in the three, but we saw prior to the injury, um, John Schneider would sometimes go Belt at three and Guerrero at four. I think part of that to split up the righties at the top make the make the decision a little more difficult for an opposing manager come bullpen time uh would you anticipate that or, or belt sliding back in the in the four spot saw so
3: belt at two sometimes yeah. as well so I, yeah i don't hate that either i think that yeah when belt is healthy like you just like it's Springer, belt, bow, Vlad, in some sort of some combination. Springer's... But you do like breaking up the three righties with belt, whether it's two or three? Yeah, I don't mind that. I think um, Springer's probably going to be one, and then you could go I belt two. I think that's a lock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you go belt, Guerrero, bow. You go belt, bow, Guerrero. You go bow, belt, Guerrero. Like, I just think that, you know, after Springer, you just line up those guys however you think makes, uh, you know, gives you the best chance to win on that given night.
0: So assuming Brandon Belt is uh, healthy enough to play and it sounds like he he's getting really close there, there are going to be, I mean, I we care a little bit less, I think than about the lineup iteration for this week, because again, it, it's possible that by the weekend, uh, those decisions are not just about winning the game there. Um, it stands to reason. Spencer Horwitz would be the corresponding move off the roster, given he's a lefty who plays first base in DH and he, he hasn't really been uh, used a ton looking ahead to the wild card again, not to count chickens, but this is the last time we'll talk to you before then. So, um, would you three-game series? You only need three starting pitchers. We talked about potentially using Kikuchi, maybe even Ryu, out of the bullpen. Um, but in a three-game series, given certain utilities and and how this team has used guys and the fact that, yeah, even if he's not gonna play, you need a second catcher on there and Tyler Heineman just in case. Um, could you see a case where the Blue Jays go with 14? On the roster. So that would be Spencer Horwitz off for Brendan Belt. But then you're not taking a Cam Eden, a David Schneider, a Santiago Espinal off of the wildcard roster uh, just to give you the extra little bit of flexibility there.
3: Basically, to keep Cam Eden in as a pinch running option, I think. I, I think the Blue Jays like having that option, and that can be actually really meaningful late in postseason games. Mm-hmm. If you, Blue Jays fans have seen it before. Uh, so we saw
0: it this weekend a little bit
3: like it wasn't the you know
0: steal second and steal third but it was advance from second to third on a ground ball and score on a not
3: crazy wild pitch wild pitch but we've also seen last year the Blue Jays didn't carry Bradley Zimmer as that option they didn't carry that speed element so it's going to be an interesting discussion Um, and look it's the postseason so you do lift starters earlier than you would typically Uh, Blue Jays got burned by that a little bit last mm. year, if anybody uh, remembers. Oh, I remember, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it, like, but that does, you know, make, give you reason to want another reliever and to match up better later in games and to, you know, be able feel better about kind of pulling the shoot on a starter early. It's also it's such a unique thing, like a three-game series. You have to build your roster for the possibility that it goes three games mm-hmm. and the possibility that you burn a ton of relievers in the first two games and you're probably pushing guys like a Hicks, like a Romano to four or five outs. And maybe one of them's not available on the third day. Like maybe they're just not going to be good to go or they're only available for a batter or two. Right. And you can't get that much out of them. The effectiveness is just going to be impacted to such a degree. So that does actually, you know, maybe make you lean towards taking that extra reliever. But I think that a Cam Eden, Assuming they get him like into a stolen base opportunity this week, which is something mm-hmm. they should be looking to do. You don't want his first time trying to steal at the big league level to be in a wild card series. Yeah. You want that to happen at some point this week. Uh, assuming he kind of rips off that bandit, I do think there's utility for him there in the wild card series. But like we just saw last year, Blue Jays didn't take that element.
0: Yeah. And who knows? This scenario maybe never comes up. And then you're looking at it and it's like, oh, that was a a waste of roster. but there's also a scenario and we don't have to go that deep on it, but you know, given how guys have been used lately and given positional redundancies and stuff like that, maybe Santiago Espinal's is not on a, on a wild card roster because you know, you don't need a backup shortstop, it, like an emergency shortstop in that situation. The other possibility, I guess, and this would be very surprising given the potential utility of his bat. If a lefty reliever comes in, David Schneider's over his last 30, uh, two hit by a pitch and a walk in there. What is your, and I know we talked about this last week when it was like an 0 for 20 stretch. I'd imagine your answer is still the same with the batted ball and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, he is a rookie. He hasn't struggled like this since a couple years ago in the lower levels of the minors. Um, where would your concern level be with, you know, David Schneider being in this extended of a of a skid right now?
3: It's funny. We talked like up in the lead up to the deadline about how the Blue Jays needed to acquire this right-handed bat that could play corner outfield second base <laughs> he, he was within he was there he was there they had him all along his name was Davis Schneider and he came up and hit a bunch of bombs for the Blue Jays a bunch of extra base hits and gave them the impact that we were kicking around like a Mark Canha making or a Teoscar Hernandez at the deadline we've seen recently that obviously the results haven't gone his way you want to see the approach remain consistent because was Davis Schneider do really well he pulls the ball in the air, middle-in pitches. So you want to see him hunting those pitches, not expanding, keeping the chase rate down, not chasing at stuff that is, you know, middle away and soft. You want him trying to get fastballs middle-in, even spinning stuff if it's in the right spot, lifting it to to left field. So if that approach is consistent and if he isn't coming out of it, I think you feel good about him um, providing that element off the bench in the wild card series, but... It'll depend on how things go this week, really. I mean, that's, you know, the the Blue Jays are going to they're going to think about every last possibility for this wild card roster. They are going to major in the minors in a yes. way that we can't even do on this show. So uh, you know they I'm be- going to try. <laughs> Look, if the Jays
0: clinch Wednesday, Thursday and Friday shows are going to be insufferably yeah. minute of like, I'm going to be looking at every OK, well, Genesis Cabrera and every single lefty on the Rays roster, every single lefty on the, the Twins roster, because I mean, once first of all, once the Jays have if the Jays clinch early in the week. There's much less to tee up about the, the coming games. But also, yeah, this is the the fun part about this. And, and certainly with you being on the radio call these next couple games too, I don't know about you, my favorite part of doing the radio calls is like trying to work through these smaller, minute decisions and details live in the game.
3: And then certainly when you set up the wildcard roster, it's just that kind of blown out a little bit. We saw Jamie Ritchie come up on the road trip just to sit in on meetings. I've got a story
0: on that coming tomorrow. I thought, yeah, a, yeah.
3: <laughs> just in case, right? Like just yeah. in case, because who knows? Alondra Kirk could take a foul tip and break a bone or like mm-hmm. Tyler Heineman could pull a hamstring. And now all of a sudden, Jamie Ritchie needs to be familiar with your environment in your processes yeah. so Wes Parsons I, was up on the on the weekend as well maybe also just getting familiar just in case right just in case that somebody hits the IL somebody has a really unfortunate incident and you need to add him to your bullpen or you need him to gasp make a start yeah so it's like the Blue Jays are absolutely going to be looking at every last contingency and checking off every last box on what it will be an extended kind of checklist of things they have to do and have to get sorted after they win two more games and, and clinch.
0: This is a, a bit of a weird kind of purgatory week for some of the AAA guys too, because obviously in the playoffs, you can have a bit more of a taxi squad. You can, the, the actual rule book is like to a reasonable degree, like guys can be in the dugout and stuff like that. Um, but this week is the weird one where they're at home. So Jamie Ritchie is actually back to Buffalo or wherever he makes his, his off season home um, because the Bisons are done. And the Jays can't carry a taxi squad at home because it's still technically the regular season. But yeah, there are guys like uh, Bowden Francis or Jay Jackson who probably going to be get a look from this team this week or, or potentially for a wild card. And they're yeah, it's kind of purgatory week for those guys, I guess, with the Bisons not making the playoffs.
3: What they've done in the past is run a little like satellite camp. Yeah. And I assume at Salem Field in, in Buffalo, but they could do it. Um, in Dunedin, like they could opt to do it at the, you know, the the player development complex. Right? It certainly makes more sense if they're playing Tampa. You might be going back down there anyway. So, uh, and obviously you've got, you know, resources and way more like coaches and even like, if you need someone to catch a bullpen, you just grab the complex league kid or mm-hmm. whatever, right? So, you know, if, if you're doing it in no, Buffalo. No, you, you traded him away for a uh, Cabrera. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of harder, but you could do it in Buffalo as well if you just want to keep them close to Toronto at this time. And then, yeah, you get a couple, you know, Matt Haig is there working with them and and whoever else from the Bison's coaching staff kicks around and helps them out. Cause you do have to keep those arms going. Yeah. And you do want um guys, you know, like position players even who are in like triple A right now, like an Ernie Clement, continuing to see live pitching. Just to keep things going and keeping in that routine, that rhythm, in case you do need them. Basically, playing intra-squad games
0: wherever uh, wherever
3: you are, something yeah. close. What do they call? They call
0: them simulated games,
3: or yeah, it would yeah. be live abs. Really, yeah. it would be all all it is. And then yeah, you run the bases a little bit, and maybe somebody hits you a couple fungos. Like it wouldn't yeah. be uh, you know too close to a competitive environment. No, I want full full <laughs> squad practice. If games. If you go to Dunedin, you can do that. Yeah, right? you got a whole complex league down there. You got whole teams of kids. You could bring up the Dominican summer league guys. They'll be running camps there in Dunedin. Yeah, Emmanuel starting... Benia,
0: maybe, maybe up there getting a look. Uh, by the way, we've got only one minute left here, so just to to circle back on something we talked about last week, we have the Arizona Fall League roster now. Uh, so I think we hit on most of the names last week when we talked. But Ricky Tiedemann, CJ Van Eyck, Trent Palmer, Damiano Palmegiani, Will Robertson, Desan Brown, Fitz Stadler, and Connor Larkin are headed to the uh, the AFL from the Blue Jays. Fitz Stadler, what a what a handle on that
3: guy. Paul Meggiani is the guy that you want to keep an eye on like sleeper pick for 2024 honestly might screw around and win a job on the big league club in 2024 spring training Damiano Paul Meggiani like very very consistent in his pitch selection his approach quality of contact on pitches on the plate and in the zone is is really good He's a uh, he's a guy to watch. Keep an eye on those Rule Five
0: eligibilities as well when you're looking at Arizona Fall League guys. Arden welling of Sportsnet. Thanks so much for taking the time. Have a great call all week. Thank you, and thanks to Anthony Castrovince and Keegan Matheson for coming on as well. Uh, you got Sam McKee and Jesse Rubinov next.